Wow, I had a thought. Be kind to it. It's in a strange place. Welcome to AT Banter, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything regarding the world of assistive technology. With our hosts, Steve Barkley, Rob and Ryan Fleury. Now, let's banter. Uh, welcome, everybody, uh, to yet another episode of AT Banter. Once again, I'm Rob and I'm being joined by Ryan Fleury. Hello. And Steve Barkley. Hi, I'm Steve Barkley. And we are... I don't know, I made that up last time. <laughs> the AT Banter Boys. <laughs> so, how are you guys? Just dandy. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'd be happier if it was Friday, but it's Tuesday. That's true. You could have chosen to record on Friday, you know. Then it would have been Friday. Yeah, but then no one would be here. I would have been here. Well, I'm here. I guess I'm here, too. Well, so much for that theory. <laughs> we'll work on that for next week. Well, you know what? <laughs> Nobody knows that we're recording this on a Wednesday. Happy Friday, everybody. <laughs> That's right. It's actually Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. <laughs> yeah, wait. I was going to say, whoa. I want to live in the world you are where it's dead. No, I don't. <laughs> oh, actually, that's a good thing. I've been planning for Wednesday. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. What are we going to talk about uh, this week? Well, Rob, I believe we're talking about assistive technology and assistive technology assessments. Well, that's handy because that's what we planned. That's great. <laughs> that a, a, Our notes will actually apply. Chad, <laughs> um, before we get started on that, I, I had kind of an, sort of a semi-interesting story. I wouldn't necessarily call it an interesting story, but we, uh, our boss was nice enough to buy us a new multimedia computer. Yay! Your and, boss uh, rocks. He, he does. does. He kind of does. And uh, it came preloaded with Windows 10, and I had to do some uh, some updates on it. And we were talking last week a little bit about uh, Windows 10 and their security settings, and their and specifically the privacy uh, settings. And I I did really notice that this this version of Windows 10 that's on this thing it's it's Windows 10 Home. But uh, I dug into, I, well, I wanted to change the, the update settings uh, because I was having trouble running the updates. It kept giving me an error, so I thought I would uh, set it to manual. Or, well, first of all, I, I wanted to just go into the control panel and run it through there as opposed to running it through the Windows Update app because I find the app is really flaky. And Windows Update is no longer exists in the control panel. Well, and I think Microsoft, in its infinite wisdom, if you have the home operating system, they want to make sure that you as a home user are always up to date. And maybe, it's in your best interest to be up to date. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe maybe in the Windows 10 Home Edition, uh, Windows Update isn't in the control panel. Uh, I should actually check my, my workstation and, and see if it's that way on that one. But... That kind of surprised me, but the other part of it is I dug into the, the privacy settings, and wow, wow, everything is, it, like, there's no opt-in aspect to any of that stuff. It's all opt-out. 
Like it's all turned on. Um, so what kind of things are there that um, you are opted into by default? Well, everything from, from you know, they want to, I mean, they call it really weird things. Like they call it, they have a section that's called just getting to know you where it's essentially Windows is, well, here, let me let me pull up just the, the act, what it actually says. It says, Windows and Cortana can get to know your voice and writing to make better suggestions for you. We'll collect info like contacts, recent calendar events, speech and handwriting patterns, and typing history. Now, it doesn't say anything about how often it does any of that, or, I mean, that is so vague uh, so that it's... It could essentially be key logging every keystroke you type. Absolutely. Absolutely. All under the pretense of, you know, getting to know me better and to be able to feed me better ads, I guess, and, and just... I don't know. It's uh, that struck me as crazy. I mean, uh, like, I'm really anxious to actually get home and turn all of this stuff off at home because um, I didn't even think about it. I'm one of those. Apparently, I'm one of, one of those Windows 10 users that didn't even think about that or didn't make a big deal out of it. But after doing a little bit of digging, I'm alarmed. I've I, turned I, my ads off on my Windows 10. Um, yeah. I have everything turned on. I am an open book. <laughs> Are you? Yeah. Yeah. See, power to you then. Cause well, it's kind of like know. Google, though, right? We give Google all our information in order to serve us better. Yeah, and Facebook. Mm -hmm. I mean, fa Facebook basically owns everything you post. Yep. Yeah, but I like. I don't know. I just. I don't. I'm uncomfortable. Like, I don't need Microsoft doing the thinking for me. Like, I can. It's okay. I can suggest stuff on my own. I. I don't need need them to to key log basically key log everything i'm doing who knows where that's going or who it's going to get ultimately shared with yeah ab absolutely we don't i don't even know anything about their privacy policies and what they're going to do with that information they tell me that they're going to see now i'm sounding like a conspiracy nut but, <laughs> but honestly like that's uh, that's that's so vague that it's alarming to me and i can see how people would be a little bit upset about about the uh the privacy issues and why it's it's sort of being made a big deal of right now. Well, if you figure if they can get your name, location, everybody that you know through your contacts, everything that you're doing on your calendar, um, what else is there? Yeah, oh, well, absolutely. What, you know, they, they probably already know your porn habits. Oh, yeah, well, they've known those for years, for sure. <laughs> but I mean, but... You know, and I've had weird things happen to me, like that doesn't make like I, I took a, a you know a little a little side freelance project on uh, at Christmas that a friend of a friend that that you know referred me someone this girl wanted a a portfolio site, so you know I contacted her through Gmail and you know um, started building a site for her. Well, not two weeks after the first time I had emailed her. All of a sudden, I open Facebook, and she's right there in the Facebook feed, you know, people that you might know. So, I mean, obviously, Gmail, the only place that, that, I, that I had her anywhere on my computer was my Gmail account. But we're so, being tracked all the time. I recall a few months back when you were looking at Harry's, the Harry's website for shave, um, shaving materials. Shaving equipment. Next thing you know, on Facebook, there was a, an ad for Harry's. 
Oh, it was more right. than face, just Facebook. It was Facebook. It was uh, just even just in my. As soon as you search for something in mm. Google, it caches that. Yeah, and yeah. you get it fed. I got it fed in my Gmail. I got it fed in my Facebook. Uh, I was. I just. I couldn't go anywhere without seeing Harry's, Harry's razors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, within our own industry, uh, humanware is really good for that too. Yeah, you go onto the humanware website. You go. You look up a product. You're going to be followed around web page to web page by that product. It's going to be, hey, hey, I'm over here. Hey, yeah. You sure you don't want a Prodigy Connect? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, it's, I don't know. It's a little alarming. Like, I, I like where this. Well, is there's, going. I mean, there's so many different ways that we're being tracked now, and um, you know, a lot of people don't even realize that they're being tracked. For example, uh, air miles. Every time you pull out your air miles card and uh you know uh get those extra air miles when you're out grocery shopping or something those guys get to know exactly what you purchased you know everything so that they can target better advertising towards you you know it's the same thing online it's just a little more streamlined online because it's darn near immediate Mm -hmm. for the most part um but uh we're being tracked in pretty much everything we do these days privacy is an illusion and has been for mm-hmm. quite some time yeah absolutely and well and even the even the uh, you know the safeway cards the save on cards all that data that's all being collected like so they know what what districts uh what their shopping habits are like they can they can track demographics that way and, and figure out what what zones are, uh, you know, low income? What's high income? Who's buying Lucky Charms and who's buying Golden Grams? It's uh, well, we're way off. We're way off in the in the bushes here at this point. <laughs> we are strangely the only people who don't seem to be making good use of that data is government. Right. They yeah. they seem to be giving up all the information. Yeah, well, they, or, or, or losing it, <laughs> or losing yeah, it. Losing it. Sorry. You know, I really didn't need to fill in the census form this year. They could have just gone on my Facebook feed and pulled everything they needed. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. Did you did you do the? I guess everybody has to, right? Like when you this, that's how they do the census. Is there, you just you have to go to the website and Linda did ours this year. I'm not sure if you have to go to the website. I think oh. you can probably still do a paper one if you want to. Can you? Um, but um, I know I did mine that way. I should Sorry. say. I, yeah. I should say too. I mentioned Linda the name Linda last week too and again just now Linda is my wife to those listening to the podcast there you go and to li- who's Linda actually is the only person that's listening to the podcast <laughs> <laughs> no we were up to like 11 12 13 people so far really we no, are 13,000 yes that's what we meant 13,000 that's right we're getting there all right well so, all of you tell two friends and they'll tell two friends and so on and, and so, so on and, and so, so on, on. Wow, we just showed our age. We were in that commercial. Yeah, yeah, totally did. <laughs> you want to sing the Oscar Mayer Wiener song now? <laughs> That's right. When you eat your Smarties, do you oh, eat them very fast? Do you suck oh. them very slowly or crunch them, them very fast? fast? <laughs> it's that candy-coated chocolate, so tell me when I ask. They when you eat your Smarties, do you eat the red ones last? I was going to say, I, they just don't have good commercial jingles anymore, but then again, I don't, I don't know when the last time I've actually seen a commercial. <laughs> That's yeah, right. Probably been on Netflix too much. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, absolutely. There's, there's some good ones out there. There's some definite earworms. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move into one of the first uh, stories that I, that I thought we could talk about, um, which is a uh, it's a video 
interestingly enough, from the Utah Office of Education. And it was just a, a short YouTube video about uh, the process of, of considering AT. Um, I'm assuming at, a, at a, a school level, I'm not sure if it's an elementary or high school level or if it even really matters, but... Um, I think theirs is geared specifically towards post-secondary. Oh, okay. But the process is going to be the same pretty much for any age, just with different considerations, I would think. Right. Well, I thought it was interesting. I, I mean, from somebody who doesn't have anything to do with, or never has had anything to do with the uh, with the assessment process and just how uh, students get assistive technology, uh, I thought it was pretty interesting because it, it was, uh, it's, it's a pretty, it, from the sounds of it, it's a pretty lengthy and intense process, um, which I guess thinking about it, sort of it needs to be that way so that you're ensured that you're getting the right piece of equipment in front of the right student. But I know, Steve, that you, you do a lot of, you've had a lot of experience with things like uh, assessments in the schools. So why don't you tell us about that, kind of what some of the processes are. And tell us in uh, rhyme, if you could. <laughs> if, you, if, you could, if you could make a stanza uh, of <laughs> how to put Steve on the spot. <laughs> I, would, I would like to wrap this uh, bit about assessments. Uh, let me see here. What rhymes with assessment? <laughs> Damn, we're stumped already. I was in my basement doing an assessment. <laughs> No, that's probably Priceless. not going to work. Yeah. Uh, that's good stuff. Um, assessments. Um, well, uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can lead into an assessment, and, and uh, um, there's different situations that I've been put in for doing assessments. Sometimes you're going in with um, very, very little information about the, the client that you're going in to do an assessment for. They're, you know, I've been into assessments where basically I've just been told, oh, this person is losing their vision. Can you go to their office and uh, determine what they need to carry on with their job? Uh, on the flip side of it, I've been into assessments where there's lots of information provided, medical histories, acuities, um, you know, different, uh, different information about, um, you know, medical conditions that they might have. Um, what I've learned uh, through during through doing a lot of assessments is uh, you can never rely on the paperwork you're provided anyways um, the the paperwork will give you a, a story but it won't tell you the full story so the most important thing when doing an assessment is to ask lots and lots of questions because it's one thing to know what somebody's medical condition is but it's a whole different thing to know how it affects them and uh, what other factors might weigh into uh, how it affects them over the course of a day. Um, a good example, I guess, would be um, I went in to do an assessment at a university in Alberta uh, for an employee who had, had lost some vision. And the university had, had done a lot of the right things. They had um, given them large print software for the computer, um, they had brought in an occupational therapist to assess their uh, seating needs and so forth. Um, but the client reported that they were having a lot of trouble towards the end of the day 
um, reading that they were suffering significant eye strain um, and they weren't able to do a lot of the work that they needed to do later on in the day. Well, it wasn't until I actually got to the office and realized that they had a the they had the client sitting at a computer with the afternoon sun streaming through the window, which couldn't be blanked out. There there were no there were no blinds on it. Um, and the sun was shining straight onto their monitor, which was washing out the contrast on their monitor. And um, as a result of that, they were straining to see what was on the monitor and developing eye strain as a result. Um, so you could argue uh, all day whether uh, window blinds are assistive technology or not, but they sure were in this case. Um, because without them, that, that client just wasn't able to function in, in the afternoons. Um, I see a lot of, uh, I see a lot of examples like that where, um, a lot of the higher end assistive technology options have been considered for people, but the minor things haven't things like lighting, you know, lighting can be so crucial for somebody with the, with a visual impairment, um, you know, um, for people with things like repetitive strain injuries, um, oftentimes they'll look at and say, oh, well, this person could use voice recognition software, but they won't consider whether the person could use an alternative to the mouse that they're grabbing onto all day. Yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, it's more the low tech that people really need to have access to than the high tech. It's easy to say somebody needs a note taker, somebody needs you know, large print magnification software. But, you know, what about Braille playing cards? What about their recreation? What about just their daily life outside of work or outside of school? You know, they need a way of being able to do things independently for themselves. And, you know, a lot of times the low-tech solutions will do that for you. I mean, if you, if you look at, uh, as an example, um, some of the big banks in, in Canada, um, they have a stable of assistive technologies that are available to their employees. Um, and when a manager who's working with an employee runs into a case where an employee needs some kind of assistive, tech, assistive technology, they draw off of that stable of equipment. So they look at a book of what's available and they go, oh, well, they need one of these, one of these, one of these. And really, they're just checking the boxes. Um, they're going through the process that they feel they need to go through for that employee. But they, they themselves don't have enough experience to recognize where other types of less um, coherent assistive technologies could be useful. Things like lighting, you know, maybe a different keyboard, different mouse. Um, positioning of a monitor as opposed to just enlarging information on a monitor, um, things like that. And unless you've got an employee who's very good at advocating for their needs, um, you might not get a good solution out of the gate. And you can throw a lot of assistive technology, a lot of high-end assistive technology at somebody and still be unsuccessful because of minor considerations that weren't taken into account. Right. 
Well, no two people are the same, right? No two assessments are going to be the same. Yeah, that's very true. You know, if you have two people and they both uh, have macular degeneration, for example, uh, which is one of the more common eye conditions that causes uh, seniors in particular to lose uh, vision, um, how that macular degeneration affects them, how far advanced it is, is a, a critical question. Mm -hmm. Because if one person has had it and, and it's been arrested fairly soon, they might still have a great deal of good functional vision, whereas another one uh, might have had it and not had it arrested for a long time and lost significant vision. On paper, they might look the same, right? but they're not going to function the same. No. So you have to know what questions to ask um, to come to a good recommendation for them. So last week we were talking, we, we talked a little bit about wearable tech. We were talking about the new eyes, and uh, that prompted prompted this next article that we came across this week. Uh, which was from uh, a fellow named David Goodwin, who's uh, on the um, editorial team of the AppleViz blog, uh, entitled My First Year with an Apple Watch. And uh, it sounds like he's a blind user and, you know, has had the Apple, the first generation Apple Watch. The gist of the article is uh, he was pretty underwhelmed. Mainly it sounds like just because of the... Um, technical glitches but i thought that might be interesting to talk about a bit only because we were talking how wearable tech is is interesting but i think you know the apple watch in and of itself i think has a lot of potential at potential probably even more than than as a mainstream device well i think they all do the apple watch the android gear watches by different manufacturers there's a lot of potential for all of them the big downside that I keep hearing about more and more is that you know with the first gen Apple watch it had to be paired to an iPhone it wasn't a standalone device other than maybe I think looking at the time and the battery level just really didn't make it through a full day of use so you know I think it's the same with the Android gear stuff as well until they can actually have a device where you don't need to pair it with your phone or even have your phone with you um, you know, you can look at your messages, have your reminders, make a phone call all through your wristwatch. Um, you know, there's talk that's coming, but until that comes, I don't think it's really going to take off. And I think, too, the prices need to come down as well. You know, I, I saw a smartwatch um, project online yesterday called The Ray, which looks like it was a, a blindness smartwatch. But, you know, it was $359, I think that was U.S., and I think the Apple Watch was around that, if not more. So, you know, for a device that you still need to have, a, a let's say, an iPhone paired to it, now you've got an expensive watch. You've also paid for your iPhone. It's getting pretty expensive to carry around multiple devices. I, I don't really see the appeal of having a watch device when all it is is an interface to the phone that's in your pocket. I mean, I I know that people like the immediacy, the ability to just glance at their at their wrist, but for me, the the downsides to to having that uh, outweigh the positives. Um, you know, my my phone already has a, a tough enough time <laughs> getting through the day mm -hmm. um, on a full charge. 
Um, you know, if I'm using it heavily, like if I'm traveling, you know, if I'm doing my email on it and those kinds of things, um, you know, I, I have to stop and recharge time to time. Otherwise it's, it's not going to make it, you know, if I'm using it for my GPS in a car, when I'm, when I'm traveling in another city, um, that's going to suck down the battery life. Mm -hmm. So the idea of having a watch that's tethered to it by Bluetooth all the time, pulling the battery down, doesn't appeal to me at all. Now, if that watch was a, a standalone device that had all the brains in it, um, and you know, could do everything that my phone does, I might be more inclined to do it, but. For me, the downside then would be the screen would be too small. Well, and I think, too, you'd still have that same problem. Your Wi-Fi on your watch would be on all the time trying to acquire a signal so that you could get your notifications, so that you could get your email reminders. You know, it would still be trying to connect to some external center or external device, whether it's Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or maps for GPS. So, again, it's still going to be pulling battery down unless you turn all that stuff off. And then what's the point of having a watch? Yeah, I, I guess another point for me, too, is, you know, I'm, I'm an old fart, and uh, my idea of a watch is something that you put on your wrist and, you know, it operates for at least a year off a battery. Mm -hmm. And you glance at it every now and then when you want to know what time it is. Right. You know, I, I am probably not the primary demographic for a smartwatch because I don't really want one. See, and that's why I almost think that it's almost a better AT device, potentially, than, than a mainstream device. Because, you know, if you think about, like, what I, what I sort of went, went to straight in my mind first was somebody, say, with limited mobility. It's going to be a lot easier for them to, say, use the um, Apple Pay feature on something like a watch when all they have to do is maybe flick the wrist or I'm not exactly sure how it all works, then have to, say, reach into a, a fanny pack or reach somewhere on their wheelchair to, to get out their smartphone, their wallet, whatever. Um, you know, it might be easier for them to, say, message when they can use the, um, the feature where, you know, it lets you sort of build your own custom text responses with just uh, a gesture or a hitting one button well the technology the technology can only get better too like in david's blog post he was saying his apple pay never worked he was in line trying to use it and people in line behind him were getting frustrated because there he is waving his arm in the air and right. the payment system wouldn't go through so that could be just a first gen problem but that's something that needs to be worked out right absolutely and i guess my point is that you know if they do manage to if the second generation of this thing does actually manage to iron some of these kinks out uh, you know, it, it, yeah, I see it. It could have some, some real potential, you know, in the AT field anyways. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I, I Personally, I, I'm with, kind of with you guys in terms of a mainstream product. I, I would have no use for an Apple Watch, even if they did iron out all the kinks. And even if it was a standalone uh, device that didn't pair to a smartphone, I, I have a smartphone. I don't, uh, and that's, you know. I went out and bought a smartphone that had a large screen because I wanted a large screen because I, I don't want to go smaller at all. So, and again, maybe we're just the wrong demographic for um, for the device. But well, I think even as an AT device, you know, if you think about how small that clock face is going to be, 
somebody with low vision probably is going to have a really hard time seeing it if they magnify it. And if they magnify it, how much are they actually going to get on that clock face? If the sun's shining really brightly and washes out the clock face, are they going to be able to see anything at all? Using voice dictation isn't going to work if you're in a noisy environment, as it is now. So even as an AT device, I still see a lot of different issues. Potentially. Potentially. Look, I'm just trying to repair our, the bridges that we burned last week <laughs> from from Apple. <laughs> we, I'm trying Apple. Not just Apple. It's, it goes for the Google Watch. It goes for you know all these different wearable devices, right? But you but know? I don't know. Like I kind of see like if if there was a developer that that could step in and take that take that Apple Watch template, I, I think they could they could potentially build a, a sort of a really useful piece of AT, like maybe. You know, maybe Apple or you know Google or whoever won't necessarily ever make a, a device like that themselves, but certainly maybe there's there are some manufacturers out there that could take that idea and run with it and produce something. There could be a GPS component to it where it could help guide blind users, or there could be a you know a that that exists already in phone technology though. Um, you know, you can you can go out and you can download the. Um, uh, well, I mean, there's there's a lot of different GPS solutions. Um, what's the, there's the Sendero GPS app, I think, which is one of the better ones. There's Sendero. There's Nearby Explorer. Yeah. What, what's Sendero Android. these days? Do you know roughly? I don't know off the top of my head. I don't, I don't know oh. off the top of my head either. But you know, it, it's a lot more expensive than going out and buying a dedicated GPS. That's for sure. Um, and people can get all of that information and feedback um, from their phone now. Um, you know, my in terms of wearable tech to pair to a phone, uh, for me, um, I really like the Aftershocks headphones. Um, you know, I've got a pair of Aftershocks headphones that I use primarily when I'm biking, um, but they keep your ears free. They give you all the auditory information that you could want off of your uh, off of your phone. Um, they're very lightweight. The batteries last a good long time. Right. Um, they're they're an excellent little wearable pairing to a phone. Um, and if you need visuals, you know I'm going to look at my seven inch screen. There's right. a six inch screen. I guess it's a six inch screen. Yeah, I almost think they're pa- trying to pack too much into, let's say, an Apple Watch or a gear an Android Gear Watch. You know, for fitness tracking stuff, they've got the Fitbits and the Microsoft Bands and all these other devices out there. You know, a watch does one thing well. It tells you the time. Does it really need to track your heart rate and how many steps you've taken and give you email notifications and calendar reminders? Your phone already does that. Yeah, I agree. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the smartwatch for wearable tech. Well, and you guys aren't alone. Uh, I mean, David... David clearly feels the same way you do, so I I'll, I guess I stand alone in in uh, in my defense of of what the Apple Watch could be, uh, but we'll see. I mean, it, maybe it, maybe the Apple Watch will just go the same route as the Google Glass, and it, it'll just be a thing they tried. Uh, I mean, I don't know what the numbers are uh, in terms of how many of these things they sold, and and um, but I think according to David's article, he was I think he mentioned that uh, this the you know the customer satisfaction on these things where it was up at 97%. So and who knows whether that's just Apple 
fanboys. Yeah, I think that's kind of the cult of Apple, right? Let me ask you this question. When they come out with the second generation Apple Watch later this fall, would you be willing to spend four or five hundred dollars on a smartwatch? Yeah, see, I don't know. Or are you know. just going to look at your phone? Yeah, see, I don't know. I mean, I like my phone. I like using the phone, but... That's yeah. another device. It is another device. Yeah, Four or $500 put towards a new phone would actually probably serve me better. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm saving up for a 4K TV, so... Nice. I'll put that in the, <laughs> in the 4K TV slushy fund. Yeah. So, time will tell. Yeah, I wonder how much of this is really just, you know... This product has been developed because Dick Tracy fans over the years have have always thought it would be really cool to have a wristwatch phone. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I don't know. I think we're I think we're past that now. You know, the 1940s era good idea of science fiction might not necessarily bear itself out in the real world in 2016. Yeah, well, I like. I have always said that they they need to be putting more resources toward the flying car. Absolutely. Cause... Where's my flying car? <laughs> yeah, I That's was promised flying cars. The... Where's my self driving car? Where's my free uh, trip to the moon? <laughs> yeah. Did you yeah. buy your plot on the moon yet? No, no, I haven't. We don't even have a freaking underwater city yet. So I don't know what these scientists are doing because I know, right? they're they're not. None of this stuff's paying off. We don't have robots. Clearly, they've dropped well, the ball. Sorry, we have robots, but we don't have robots that are that are any fun well i guess a roomba is kind of fun a roomba <laughs> yeah, anyways so yes once again science i want a fembot <laughs> fembot get me a fembot <laughs> that's right uh, uh what else so what has happened this week ah the uh brown note touch is shipping is shipping that's news Woo-hoo. so somebody tell me about the brown note touch Oh, the main difference between the Braille Note Touch and pretty near every note taker that has come along before it is the fact that you can get access to the Android platform through right. it. So they've taken all of the familiar keystrokes for Keysoft and they've essentially turned them into a screen reader that overlays over top of Android. So Android does have its own uh, screen reader built into it, You're uh, so eloquent. which you can you can access through uh, swipes and gestures uh, as you could with a with an eye device. Um, but using Keysoft, it gives you some consistency uh, across the whole platform. So the same keystrokes that are going to work for you to navigate around inside a, a document uh, in Keyword is going to also work within. Um, uh, Google Docs uh, or another um, writing application. All your first no- first letter navigation is still there that you're used to from Keysoft. So if you're in the settings menu on the Android device or on the Braille Note Touch, you could type the letter B and it would take you to the first item that starts with B instead of having to scroll through each item, which yeah. makes navigating quite quickly as well. Yes, and you also have a very robust help system that's built into it, like you had with the uh, the Apex uh, before. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can always go in and get uh, get help when you're uh, within any of the um, the native applications for it. Um, what's really cool about it, though, is because you're using Android, you're no longer limited by the operating system that's on the device. Every other note taker 
that has, or every other major note taker that's been on the market. Um, and I'm thinking specifically the, the Braille Note Apex, um, the Braille Sense. They were all running versions of Windows CE in the background, and they were running a set of applications over top of that. So if you wanted to go web browsing with it, um, you were using a browser that hadn't been supported by Microsoft in years. Um, I believe it was Internet Explorer 6, if I recall correctly. Probably earlier than that. Um, and there are a lot of modern web uh, elements that you, you simply can't interact with uh, through that old of, uh, of a browser. So with this now being a native Android device, when you go out and browse with it, uh, I believe by default you're using uh, Firefox, mm -hmm. but you could also use Google Chrome. And if that version of the browser becomes out of date, uh, you just update it as you would any other app on the, on the Android platform and you're good to go. You're, you're back up and, and running with the most recent version. Um, you can get access to the, uh, the play store through the uh, Braille note touch and the play store has somewhere on the order of 2 million plus apps, um, that are now out on the market. And, and granted, you know, you're, you're probably not going to be successfully playing Angry Birds on here. It's not going to give you any kind of meaningful feedback from, from video game types apps, but there are literally hundreds of thousands of usable applications that you could download and, and use on, uh, on the Braille Note Touch. The thing I really like about the Braille Note Touch is, even though it is a note taker, you can take the tablet out of the case and still use the touch screen either with your fingers, your swipes and your taps and double taps, or you can place all 10 fingers on the screen and it instantly calibrates where your fingers are and you can start brailing virtually on the touch screen. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't know that it's really fair anymore to call it a note taker because it's really moved beyond that now. Um, you know, we, we tend to lump it into the category of note takers because that's what we're used to calling devices that look like it. Mm -hmm. um, but really, it's a full-fledged personal computer. There's very little that you can't do on an Android device that you would want to do as a, as a personal computer user. That's true. You know, all the Microsoft apps, you know, Outlook, they can run Office 365 yep. through a browser. Gmail, Google Gmail, Docs, Google, Google Docs. Hangouts. Yep. Um, you know, you can um, uh, link uh, to another computer through TeamViewer if you want to. Um, you could do a presentation off, uh, off of it. it there's a... Uh, um, an HDMI connector for it that you could put it up on a big screen if you wanted to. Um, it's a very liberating platform and the first of its kind to, uh, to really open up um, the, uh, you know, as an all-in-one device having full access to the operating system. Yeah, it's excited to see where it's going to go now that it's released. You know, I know the phone calls have been coming in and emails have been coming saying, when is it coming, when is it coming? So... You know, I think once it gets out there and we start getting feedback from users, it's going to be interesting to see where the device goes from here. So does this does this thing replace the older? The older model was the Apex, right? The older model is the Apex, uh, but they are going to continue to produce the Apex alongside the Braille Note Touch. Um, 
you know, there's there's still uh, places I think where Humanware has contracts to provide uh, the Braille Node Apex, so they're pretty much beholden, I think, to continue with that platform. But the the actual price delta from one to the other is pretty minimal. I think it's uh, in Canadian dollars. I think it's three hundred sixty five dollars more to get the touch right. than it is to get the Apex. So I I don't really see anybody. Um, looking at that price difference and saying, "Oh, gee, you know, I'm going to I'm going to stick with the older limiting technology." I, I think right. people are going to spend that difference and and move up to uh, to a, a more open platform. Well, absolutely. You know, I mean, that sounds like that's pretty much just that's the price of a tablet, right? That's the, the that price difference. Yeah. So good stuff. The other, the other thing that's kind of cool about it is, you know, right now it is doing uh, a lot of the very note-takery type stuff, um, as well as, of course, having access to the Android stuff. But there, there's some pretty uh, skookum hardware that's built into that device as well. You know, it's got uh, built-in GPS, it's got a built-in camera, and there's more functionality that is going to be added to it through software updates as the uh, product matures. Right. Um, and people will be able to download those software updates for free and add them on. Um, you know, some of them might be charged updates. Uh, you know, I don't know what their plans are, for example, for the uh, rear-facing camera that they have on the, on the device. Right now, that, that rear-facing camera under the current operating system is not, uh, is not working. Um, but it it is capable, uh, you know, it, it's got high enough resolution that you could use it for OCR. Um, so you'd be able to take your portable device, hold it up over something, snap a picture, and have it read something to you. You know, immediate access to documents on top of everything else that it does. Right. Um, there's also, um, you know, things like uh, uh, Google Glasses that you could download. So if you're, you know, got a can of soup in front of you, and you want to know what it is, you put it behind the thing, launch your Google Glasses app, snap a picture, and it tells you it's Campbell's Cream of Tomato Soup. Oh, no way. Google's Goggles. Google Goggles, sorry. Yeah. I said Google Glasses. Yeah. yeah. Google Goggles. Different product. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's things like the KNFB Reader app. At some point, you'll be able to download and install and do your OCR like you were saying. You know, that there's a Daisy player built into it, so you can do your Daisy books. Um you know, CNB Directed Player Service works. There's a lot of functionality built into this device, being that it's open platform. Excellent. And it's, it's available now from the sounds of it. Yes, indeedy. All right. Uh, all right. Well, let's, let's move on then to our, uh, our meat and potatoes of our discussion today, which was uh, a, little, a little piece that CBC did. Uh, it's a little audio piece. I guess it was. Uh, I guess it was on CBC Radio. Uh, it, I thought it was pretty interesting and, and could warrant a, a good discussion. But it was. It was called the line between accessory and assistive technology, and and the the crux of the piece is basically how do we define assistive technology, and how in turn does that define the people who use assistive technology. I thought I thought it raised some some interesting questions that you guys might have some some insight into. The, the you know the big one that that struck me was the fact that technically glasses are are considered assistive technology. It's it's they're, they're a prosthetic. Yet you know in in mainstream you know we it's it's considered an ex a fashion accessory. 
it's it's to the level where you know people have multiple pairs of glasses people you know they're they're marketed as as cool i mean they're it's it's a very different like i remember when i first got glasses and you know people still called you four eyes and but nobody ever said you were wearing assistive technology no no and i no, think that's because not. assistive technology as a term is pretty new in the grand scheme of things, you know, it probably, I think if we went back to maybe the 60s, 70s, that's probably where that term was for, uh, coined in, to begin with. Um, whereas glasses have been around for a long, long time. I'm yes. not even going to speculate as to how long they've been around. Speculate. Oh, I saw what you did <laughs> Well <there>. done. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so um, it would be interesting to go back and try and find what the origin of the term assistive technology was, and, and maybe there's some amateur entomologist out there who can uh, who can figure that out for us. But uh, but uh, we we haven't taken the time, so we didn't, we didn't care that much, you know. No, but it, but it you know <laughs> it it is interesting the the idea that you know what is if if assistive technology is merely and actually let me just hold on let me just pull up my notes here because I actually wrote this down. I was almost actually kind of prepared for today. Yeah, you have the definition on, on yeah, what like, it is. Yeah, uh, like, you know, according to that, the, the video that we were talking earlier from the from the Utah Office of Education, you know, for example, they, they define uh, AT, an AT device as, and I'll quote, an AT device is any item, piece of equipment, or product system, whether acquired commercially, off-the-shelf, modified, or custom-made that is used to increase, maintain, or improve functional capabilities of individuals with disabilities. Uh, you know, that's how they define, you know, assistive technology. And I would say that's probably pretty close to what, where that would fall in, in, in most cases. I think you made a good point earlier when we were talking about this as well, uh, when you said that um, really they could have finished that sentence with, uh, of individuals, they didn't necessarily need to add on with disabilities, um, because really you have to, you know, okay, you're using an assistive technology. You've got your visual prosthetic that you're you're wearing right now. Does that mean you have a disability? Well, you probably didn't self-identify as somebody with a disability when you did your income tax this year, right? Um, so there are dividing lines that we put in place when we say, okay, this person has a disability, this person doesn't. Oftentimes for vision, it might be legal blindness, 2200 or worse, right. or a limited uh, field of, of vision. Um, but I think assistive technology um, is more uh, than just equipment for people with disabilities because it can be um for you know mainstream audiences who um don't necessarily identify as having a disability um and really you know in it, uh, other than in terms of you know uh, services that you're accessing or uh, um you know how how you want the government to treat you on your income tax i, I don't think the term disability is all that useful these days anymore um it uh it denotes kind of an exterior expectation as opposed to an individual's ability. Um, so the exterior expectation of somebody with a visual impairment might be that, oh, they're not going to be able to do things because they're, 
they're blind or visually impaired. Whereas for somebody who is blind or visually impaired, it might take them different strategies to achieve what they're trying to achieve, but they're still capable of doing it. So, you know, I just don't like the term disabilities, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, and I think that that was, that was sort of the, uh, the driving point, I think, behind this article was that, um, you know, assistive technology, it can be used to actually label people that they have a disability, which in itself can be, uh, have a negative impact. But at the same time, I mean, you know, it's, it's a bit of moving the goalpost because, you know, how do you define a disability? You know, where do you, where do we draw the line? Uh, you know, because really, I mean, you could say that Dr. Scholl's insoles is an assistive technology, uh, you know, uh, you know, corrective footwear, um, you know, the, the list goes on and on in, in terms of, you know, nasal strips, you know, somebody snores, so you have to go by, that's an assistive technology. I mean, you, you know, you, it, you can get pretty ridiculous when you start, when you start to start redefine the terms. Um, I, I've been doing a lot of work lately with, um, uh, site cues. Uh, it's a, a software as a service for, for websites that puts, um, large print and speech output and some, some other options onto, uh, websites to make them more accessible. Um, it's made by AI squared, the same guys who make uh, zoom text, and they put a lot of research into their market and where they were going to direct this, this product. They, they found some really interesting statistics as, as part of that. But one of them that really stood out for me is that, um, and these are American numbers, so this is strictly in the United States, and it may vary country to country, but um, in the U.S., of the people who could make good use of an assistive technology, only 10% of those people actually own an assistive technology. So that would be, as an example, somebody who needed uh, print enlargement, only 10% of the people who need print enlargement actually have some sort of print enlarging system at their disposal at home or at work. That leaves 90% of the population out there who are functioning somehow without that assistive technology. And, you know, this is, this leads towards their market for site cues because if you put that assistive technology and you embed it on a website, you're removing the requirement for that individual to have their own assistive technology. They can just go onto the website and leverage what's already there at, at their disposal. But um, I, I'm willing to bet that of those 90% of people who are out there, most of them are probably not going to identify as having a disability. They're, they might say, well, you know, I've got kind of crappy vision, you know, or something along those lines. But they are not going to say, you know, I'm visually impaired, I'm legally blind, I'm, I'm X or Y. They're probably not going to say I have a disability. They're going to say, I can't see real good. Yeah, well, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that, that that could very well play into the point that this article is talking about, which is, you know, is that because there, there is a stigma associated with identifying that you have a disability or, do, you know, I, I, I can tell you, I'm somewhat guilty of that very same thing. The last few years, and this is this is like it's time for Rob confessions, I guess. Now I'm broadcasting this to to the internet, so 
because it's no longer my little secret. But lately... You, you happen to be the editor. You can get rid of it later. That's true. That's true. So we'll see how this goes. No, lately I've been noticing when I when I try to read, um, I have to do this thing where I, I the closer my book gets to my face, the more the more blurry it gets as opposed to the, the less. So I've had to, you know, I have to do this thing where I'm outstretching my arm to, to read fine print. And uh, as it turns out, it's probably, it, you know, it means that I actually, I need, I need progressives. I need, you know, I guess, bifocals. And uh, I'm, I'm real hesitant to, to go to my eye doctor and get bifocals because I don't know. I just, I just associate that with like, are you saying you don't self-identify as a bifocal user? I don't want to identify. <laughs> I don't because I just I see that as just. What's wrong with bifocal users? I, because just in my experience, he clearly has some preconceptions about so. bifocal users. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's some sensitivity. Training. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, man. If I was part of the bifocal community right now, I would be offended. I'm just saying, like I'm, I. I think Wait, I am I get, part of the bifocal. Community. I am offended. If I get bifocals, I just feel like my. My days at the bingo hall will will be right ahead of me. Wow, bifocal users and bingo players now too. He's That's just, right. He's yeah, putting I'm them all just, in a box, I'm burning all, all our bridges today. <laughs> well, listen, we'll be we we'll much better off if we get if we get boycotted by bingo users and Apple. That's all I'm saying. It's tough though, you know, because it's so easy to put people into categories and or into different classifications. You know, like we talked about last week. You know, we have friends who are visually impaired or blind who use dogs or canes to cross the street, and how many times have they had somebody run up to them and drag them across the street, even though they're quite able to cross the street on their own. They've been doing it for years. You know, we automatically assume that the person that has a disability is incapable of doing things by themselves. Yeah, we see we see people from a pretty broad spectrum of uh, abilities and a pretty broad spectrum of attitudes as well mm -hmm. um you know as we've seen over the years attitude is everything and uh you know somebody with a bad attitude i think is is more disabled regardless of their abilities than somebody with much more severe disabilities but a good attitude it is all about attitude and how you perceive yourself in the grand scheme of things yeah but i mean uh, but you know I think that that these terms, like even assistive technology, I mean, I feel like it's really, it's gaining some momentum these days. I mean, I remember when I first started with with uh, Aroga, the word assistive technology was just nobody knew what the hell you were talking about when you said it, the words assistive technology. And I feel like these days, that's really changing. Um, it's not such a, you know, an enigmatic term these days and it's you know and it and there's it's gaining some steam i mean you know adaptive technologies are a thing uh you know they're they're showing up on the apple store they are you know becoming more mainstream i mean look at um look at uh amutech canes uh you know talking about turning a a tool into an accessory you know there's blind cane users can get neon pink and green canes if they want them and there's some debate over that too sure that's just a pushback you know, over or, that orientation and mobility instructors a lot of them uh, say that uh, the only uh, 
the only real identifier for somebody who's blind or visually impaired is a white cane with a red tip. Right. Um, and I don't know that there's actually any legal definition of what a cane for the blind is supposed to look like. Um, I tend to have the attitude that if you're walking down the street and you're tapping a cane in front of you, people should be able to figure it out. I would think so. You know, regardless of what color that, that cane is. However, um, one of our customers, uh, he was uh, standing at the Greyhound station with his brand new shiny blue cane and the bus driver didn't recognize that he was uh, blind and all the passengers got on board and it wasn't until one of the passengers said to the bus driver, hey, you know, I think there's a guy out there who might need some help boarding um, that the bus driver went and, and looked and the reason he didn't identify him as being blind was because his cane was blue and not white with a red tip. Right, and I think that comes down to education. You know, if you look up White Cane Week on Wikipedia, it kind of gives you some foundation as to where the white cane came from. But nowhere does it say the cane has to be white. Well, and and again, it has to be edu- education is is going to be the key. I mean, I'll just be outraged on behalf of all blind people and say, why, why the heck should it, why, should, can I, why can't they pick whatever color they, they want? Why does it have to be you know, a, a white cane. You know, you might as well just, you know, mandate that they have to wear a T-shirt that says, Hi, I'm blind. There there are probably people out there who would choose a different colored cane to get away from having the white cane on purpose. Sure. Because they're sick and tired of people helping them. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people uh, who are blind who are walking around, as Ryan said, with, with canes and with guide dogs, who really would prefer that people stop helping them. Yeah. They know where they're going. They know what they're doing. They're perfectly capable of getting through their day-to-day chores. They do not need somebody running up to them, grabbing them, and helping them across the street that maybe they didn't actually want to cross in the first <laughs> place. Right. Um, you know, there's... Uh, uh, I guess there's two schools of thought on it. On on one side, those people really meant well. Yes. However, they're no less annoying. Nope. And uh, I know plenty of blind people who, you know, although they recognize that people are trying to be helpful, they really want to punch them in the head. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> well, and when I used to travel independently, you know, you're really focused, or I was anyway, on getting from point A to point B. And, okay, I've turned here, now I need to turn right, you know, in such and such a distance. You know, you're focused on your task at hand. And when somebody came up to you and just, you know, maybe didn't even offer to help, just took your arm and took you across, it kind of threw you off, and it threw me off anyway, and really kind of got me disoriented. So, you know, it can be a problem. Right. And I mean, I guess the, the way that we would tie that back into this article is, again, it's, it's the labeling process. It's, you know, if, if, an, if an assistive technology is, is causing you to be labeled with a disability, that is going to affect the people around you. And whether, and, you know, yeah, I, maybe you could call it a form of discrimination if somebody leads you in a direction that you actually didn't want to go or doesn't ask you 
before they try to help you. I mean, there's there's all kinds of, you know, quote, discrimination. It just means you're being treated differently than somebody in a similar situation that that doesn't. So, I, I, I mean, it's an interesting question. You know, and I think we have a long way to go. I think there still certainly is, a, I mean, a stigma uh, against the label of, of disability. I don't think that that's necessarily changing. I think that maybe it's getting better, but... Well, and, and I think part of it is that there's too much focus on the dis and not enough on the ability. You know, um, there's there's lots of people out there who who have disabilities who are very very capable people, and they they don't want to be viewed as less capable by people around them. They want to be recognized for their abilities, um, as they should be. Um, but unfortunately, there's still a lot of people out there who who just see the dis. Right. Right. So we still got a, we still got a ways to go in this, um, but uh, yeah, there's lots to be done in education for sure. Yep. And you know, even with all the education that you can, there's still going to be stupid people out there. You know, the people who are going to walk up to a blind person and go, "Hi, how are you?" <laughs> I've seen it. It's stupid. It does happen. Yes. <laughs> so I don't think we're going to answer. Any questions today? No, but probably I, it, not. It was a good, but it was a good topic. Uh, you know, I thought it, I thought it was interesting. So, you know, anybody who wants to check out the uh, this article that we've been talking about, it'll all be in the show notes. We'll have links to to all the stories and and uh, product that that uh, we've been discussing today. But I think that'll do for today. I think we've we've actually talked longer than we ever talk. I don't ever remember having you guys in my office talking to me for this long. Well, it's because we don't like to talk to you, Rob. Yeah, that's what I assumed. So just goes to show you, I, can, I put mics in my office and all of a sudden people talk to me. It's weird. Well, that's because of your attitude on bifocals. <laughs> yeah, you know what it is? For what him, is these microphones are an assistive technology. They get people to talk uh, to him. Ah, yes. Uh, just for yes. the record, uh, though, it, the, the whole bifocal story was completely made up. I don't really need bifocals. At all. Yeah, right. See, now he's in denial. Yeah, you're right. I mean, <laughs> stage, is that stage two? <laughs> I think so. I think negotiating comes next. When's the anger stage? That's what I'm looking forward to. I'll be out of your office by the time that happens. <laughs> well, uh, I guess that's going to wrap it up for us today. Uh, One more thing we should add. The AT Banter Podcast now has a website and an email address that you can reach us at. So for more information, Rob, you want to pass it along? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can you can catch us online at www.atbanter.com. Uh, and there you'll find our show notes. You'll find some embedded, uh, the embedded player uh, to listen to the podcast. And heck, you might even be there right now for all we know. But uh, you'll also, you can also email us uh, at, uh, what, uh, what was the email? atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. See, you're so smart, Ryan. Thanks, Rob. So all you outraged uh, bifocal users out there, that's the email address to complain to. Exactly. All right. That's going to wrap it up for us today. So I've been Rob Minot. I'm Steve Barclay. And I'm Ryan Fleury. And thanks for listening in. And uh, we will talk at you next week.
This podcast has been brought to you by Aroga Technologies. Visit Aroga Technologies online at www.aroga.com. That's A-R-O-G-A.com. Music provided by bensound.com.